Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick here of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing the European Super League. Chris, I'm really excited about this whole European Super League. Here we go. Exciting times. Uh, Chris, go. Yeah, well, um, I'm afraid it's not happening. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, what? you're a bit, bit behind the news. But, oh, no. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, that, so this, it was quite a, quite a short-lived drama, really. But the, mm. um, the, the international kleptocracy, which is the, uh, the elite <laughs> footballing community, cried, cried foul this, uh, this week when um, some, some of the billionaires uh, decided to exclude some other billionaires from, uh, mm. from making even more money. Mm. Um, but yeah, ba- basically, for those who haven't followed the story, um, mm. it's the aborted attempt by uh, six English clubs from the Premier League, three Spanish clubs and three Italian clubs to form mm. a, um, a breakaway European competition. Mm. Um, from you know in, in parallel to the the European Champions League and other other European competitions and I don't think we've explicitly stated this is association football we're talking about because we've got a lot of yeah sorry when I said football I meant yeah. I meant football as opposed so- to that thing Americans do in- <laughs> exactly. but also rugby football which is yeah. another type of football different football. yeah that's yeah. a different mm. football yeah, yeah. yeah okay so can I was- I've got uh, sorry Go I've got mechanical questions um okay do you, if they were in this league, would they mm. be no longer effectively in like the leagues they're in at the moment, like the Premier League and stuff like that? Well, they would have been expelled. Uh, I think the idea was that they would have maintained Premier League membership and they would have played sort of midweek in this European competition, which would have replaced the Champions League competition. Right. Um, okay. But, right. but, but what's in the effect, Champions League? The Champions League. So. Well, the Champions League is a bit of a bit of a misnomer, really, because it used to be the European Cup, right? Which mm. all the countries from around Europe, the winner of the top league, right. used to go into the is Champions League. Is that the same League. as the UEFA uh, the, Cup? The, no, the UEFA Cup's oh, something Christ. different. The yeah. UEFA okay. Cup's like the a UEFA Cup was for, for the for the for the next rank down, and then you had oh, the Cup okay. Winners' Cup as well, which was. And, and is, is the Champions Cup. League the same as the Championship? No. no. The Championship yeah. is what the second domestic, or third. Yeah. Okay, yeah. go on. Anyway, right, so the it used to be that the, the league winners would go into a competition and play mm. in a knockout-style cup, and the winner would be the European Cup winner, right? And that was mm. the, the most significant um, uh, league European um, competition. But then it got replaced by the Champions League, uh, which really isn't the Champions League, because mm. the, in, in England, for instance, the top four teams... Uh, who qualify each year in, in the in the Premier League go through to this competition and mm. and play in it, um, and it involves a bit of a league, a sort of round robin, and then mm. you go to a knockout stage. Whereas well, why isn't sorry why isn't it a Champions League then? It's because the it used teams. to be it's meritocratic, to, right? Right, it is meritocratic, it but they're not the champ like. The champions the champion. is the title that you give to the people who win your domestic oh, okay. league, right? right? So, so it's so three of them aren't champions, right? One, but they, one, they're pretty right. close. They're near, nearly. Yeah, champions. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it was, it was merit, qualification was meritocratic at, yeah. at least. And the idea of the European Super League was that you would basically have a like a league structure that. Was, who, who, uh, sorry, who appointed these guys as the Super League? 
So it was, they, it they was cooked themselves. up. <laughs> it was cooked but up by the owners. How did they decide who, which teams they were going to invite to their little party? Well, it was a big conspiracy. So basically, the 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 um, Real Madrid, the chairman of Real Madrid, uh, who, who are obviously the biggest, most significant club in in Europe, arguably, uh, kind of put together this cartel, and they knew that they needed. Um, a bunch of English clubs because you know half the the original sort of proposed members were going to be English teams because the English teams are generally pretty wealthy um, uh, clubs so you know it had had to have included them um, so it was it was cooked up by this bunch of, of um, billionaire owners and their CEOs and so on okay but why did it die? Right. Well, so, yeah. So there was basically one of the key problems with it perceived by everybody other than these uh, the chairman of these clubs mm-hmm. was that um, you had 40, you had 12 founder members and they were going to get three other clubs who were probably going to be like Bayern Munich and, and Paris Saint-Germain and others that they were going to try and uh, convince to join. Um, but the 15 founder members would have been... Um, permanent members so they would never have been at threat of relegation from this league and then there would have been five people five clubs from around the rest of Europe who on a season by season basis could have qualified for this thing so you know in terms of most even though the US model of uh, competitive sport doesn't necessarily include the the concept of relegation it's a key part of um, of of football that you can get promoted and you can get relegated from from Leeds. There, there are there are rewards and punishments for uh, for performance. And so, why, why would they want to have a like? If they'd have done it, and then in ten years' time, all of those teams were like rubbish. Yeah, wouldn't they? Isn't that a risk for them? Like, why wouldn't they want to make it such that it was always the best teams? Well, because they wanted, I suppose, to um, uh, enshrine um, the fact that they were the best teams because they would have had access to this, you know, massive pot of money that it would have generated. And so they would always have been able to buy the best players. Yeah, well, there's, there's, so that's my next question. Is how do you get more money? Why is there more money if you're in a Super League than because if you're just in the Premier League? You've got yeah. these massively. Well, part of I think part of the motivation was, I mean, aside from you know, obviously the financial side of it, is a lot of these clubs have got huge international followings, and I think uh, well, global followings really. And I think the idea was that wouldn't that be massively even more attractive if you could see your your these these huge. You're, you're um, always seeing the the biggest. Yeah. biggest games each each week because at the moment you know in the so in it's Champions a kind of cartel League, a sort of cartel it was def- definitely cartel thing. in fact in fact you know one of the reasons it got scuppered was uh sort of you know political um uh, involvement which was i mean basically you know fans of the clubs themselves who, whose clubs would have you know presumably have benefited most from mm. this kind of uh you know were, were involved in you know protests outside the grounds yeah. and so on and then the yeah. politicians picked up up on it yeah boris johnson called it a cartel yeah. uh, and you know threatened uh, or promised a legislative bomb to, to undermine it and the whole thing at all i don't know yeah. how you could politically how you could ban people from voluntarily banding together but um look i i must say i was really surprised 
by by this because I have I'm totally cynical about football supporters and and I think they talk a good game when it comes to trying to you know stop commercialization and then they all go out and buy 25 different tops because their team tells them to and you know things like when they changed the, the you know when they rebuilt Highbury Stadium and called it the Emirates Stadium I thought that's disgusting and vulgar um, mm. sticking the name of your company on a stadium surely you know Arsenal fans are going to call it the Highbury Stadium still aren't they no everyone calls it the Emirates Um, when they changed it to the Barclays Premier League I thought well everyone's going to not call it they're not going to refer to it as the Barclays Premier League are they and then of course everyone on the BBC is calling it the Barclays Premier League so I just thought that there's there's just you know they're they're going to get in this Super League they're going to moan about it but then they're all going to go out and buy the Super League paraphernalia and spend loads of money on watching the games and it didn't didn't happen we need to get impressed we need to get yeah. to the no, point, right? No, I like, been, I like this rambling on about football. No, we've been right. going for almost 10 minutes now. And because what we really want to ask, I think, is the following. When does greed become self-defeating? Yeah. Right. Right. Is this a case, Chris, make the case that this is greed being self-defeating? Well, I, I, I think there's two sort of, um, there's two questions at least to look at, right? In the way that greed can be self-defeating. So the, the, the first is like, structurally did this league work as a market right was it a, was it a greedy thing that's that wasn't going to function properly like like a cartel right but then the second and that, and that presumably you know is is reasonably straightforwardly answered by sort of economic theory debate and so on but the second thing really which i find much more interesting is when when does the personal greed become self self-defeating so for example for all these chairmen now of these clubs and these clubs themselves they've all been kicked off their sort of decision making positions within the premier league right so they've they've lost power but not only that there's a there's a review of um football going on which was already going on led by um uh, the mp tracy tracy crouch the fan-led review of football and this makes it much more likely that they're going to impose things like the 50 plus 1 rule which is used in the German Bundesliga uh which in which enforces um basically a majority stakeholding for um for fan led bodies for the club itself as opposed to individual um owners so so what these people have, have done effectively is in, in in their sort of grasp for something They've ended up with the the um, not the reward, but they've ended up with the downside, which they obviously didn't see. So I think for me, the the kind of like the 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 biggest uh, bit of evidence for the um, for the greed being self defeating is the is the fallout afterwards that these people are probably in much riskier positions and are going to you know lose assets as as a result. I mean, it's not as if football is not with as you pointed out, Nick. You know, it's like um, you know the top players in in football. I think Lionel Messi gets something like ninety two million dollars a year for his uh, earnings and mm-hmm. bonus, with with uh, thirty four million for for endorsements. Um, so you know there's already loads of money in in the game. Um, it's just at what at what point does the o- obvious open um, un un disguised greed get too much for the game and clearly clearly it, that that was a, a sort of watershed moment um, yeah i mean it's interesting just looking at a, i found a 
stats um, from, I think it's Man United, yeah. So to be fair to them, there's stuff that they're publishing, I guess they have to because they're a company. Um, that in 2009, uh, match earnings, so sales of tickets effectively to games, was 41% of their revenue. Mm. Um, broadcasting was 35%, and and commercial, so in other words, sponsorship and stuff, was 24%. Now, so 2019, in fact, um, the, that commercial stuff, so stuff that they're getting purely as a brand, is is 44% of their earning. Uh, broadcasting is 38%, and match, match day earnings is just 18 percent. so really they make most of their money from tv or just by being famous um so i i guess you know you can imagine thinking well actually the football side of this business is a little bit of a kind of you know loss set uh, a, yeah. a cost center for us what we want to do is just really maximize our brand value and the number of t-shirts we can sell and if we can quietly get rid of this annoying having to play football side of the business that would be great mm. uh, and i i wonder if that that's sort of partly what's going on here because it seems to me like the mechanism whereby um this is self-defeating now it's just i want to draw an extra distinction from the one that chris drew which is that i think there's a difference between doing something which is just which actually is going to which is stupid right which does not actually lead to more money. Um, so you know, classic goose golden egg kind of situation. You you know it's a, you, you know it's you know once it's got a folktale associated with it, then you know that some uni- you've tapped into some universal human frailty there. Mm. But I think that that question of well, okay, well that that was a stupid decision. We, we were trying to maximise profits. We're being too short termist, and you know we ended up yeah killing the goose that lays the golden egg. That's different from where you face a backlash of people sort of socially policing against what they see as greed. I mean, it's just a different mechanism. It feels to me like there's a bit of both going on here. So in the short term, you have the you have the fan backlash. But now, obviously, and I'm not a football guy, so I don't really I'm only sort of trying to frame this in my own language. But it seems to me like what they were protesting about was the fact that this would sort of or at least be a significant step towards a kind of tragedy of the commons situation where people pursue the goal of maximizing profits if you like kind of rent seeking in economic terms trying to scoop more of the available cash but in doing so are poisoning the sport and leading to a longer term diminution of you know the health of the game as a whole of of you know the people who are interested in football and the people who are ultimately going to pay for football um uh, you know so that you're they're fighting over a market that that their behavior is in effect is 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 leading uh to to, to dwindle um so so i th- i i feel like that that's that's the situation that we've got here i i don't know it seems to me like that's the trade-off that they are trying to get some ready cash now because they're billionaires and they just can't get enough of the stuff um and and they don't care or at least have not foreseen that this is going to lead to the sport ultimately dying because you know it it means that people aren't i guess among other things for example if you're leicester city you're not you're never going to stand a chance of getting into the super league and you'll never get to play manchester united again no matter how good you are kind of thing um is that is that right is that a fair appraisal of what people were protesting again about more or less i think there's you could pick up something you said on there in the end but you've got the general principle right yeah and, um, uh, yeah and i think i think to sort of add to that there's a there's an element uh w- which sort of brings that home which is that you know the the 
a lot of the resistance came from those outside of that that elite that were forming this thing um because their share of it was going to be reduced but the the there are sort of agreements within the premier league for example to fund um to fund like what they call grassroots level you know so so the the non-elite level of the of the sports to make sure there's a like a pipeline of players coming through um and you know there's this sense that um if that if that dwindles and you don't have lots of people playing at a level they're less likely to be interested in the game you're less likely to get the elite players sort of coming through that system and so you know it's it's i suppose it's a little bit like cutting down the last last tree on easter island or something that you mm. you know you you um by excluding these other clubs you are drying up the the supply line for both fans and and players and you know the whole kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean game. it's interesting this question about what greed is and Wait, Nick, why we dis- Nick, what. Before you come in, I think there's something also that we could pick up on here, right? Um which is and this should be right up your street, you guys, because um one of the I think it's about this, there's an intersection here between motivations with things like greed and things about uh, and, and decision making processes, right? Because one of the things that you'd mentioned there, uh, Chris, was the German model of 50 plus one, um, which would prevent this kind of decision or would make this sort of decision harder to make. Whereas the ownership uh, of most clubs is essentially an oligarch um, and they can do what they want. So it's unfettered in, in, in terms of what they can do. So that, that's kind of what. So institutionally, in somewhere like Bayern Munich, you've got something, a process that will stop or hinder um greed from i don't know am i on something i think i do want to talk about this maybe but i think we're using the word greed a lot without really thinking about what we mean go on um people want stuff right you're aware of this people people like to acquire stuff it's why people go out to work it's why they um you know it's why they why they go on strive celebrity big brother uh it's it's exactly people want to acquire resources i have found it quite hard to come up with a definition of greed which really captures you know a meaningfully different form of that i think it comes down to a lack of concern with um other people's utility functions i think it i think it sort of is basically where you are getting a personal benefit and not caring that you're imposing a cost on society I think that's what people don't like. It's when it crosses over into imposing a, a kind of social cost, which is why I was talking about the, this as a kind of tragedy of the commons, because I, and I, I think obviously one of the ways that um, you, uh, one of the ways that we have evolved socially to try and prevent tragedy of the commons type situation is social policing. You know, it's policing against that kind of behaviour uh, using praise and blame and uh, yeah. shame and tools like that and so i i sort of feel like um yeah it's not what like why we don't have we don't you know we we disapprove of people who drop litter because if we didn't everyone would do it and and i guess this is football fans trying to perform that social policing role for yeah. for their their commons which is the sport of football yeah um but 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 i mean in terms of the motive like let's say that they were right and in fact, um, what they were doing was profit making. 
well, that isn't any different to what any other company does. And I mean, the kind of the sort of, you know, libertarian view, or well, it's not, it's fairly mainstream kind of view, the Adam Smith kind of view, which is um, the good thing about, uh, uh, you know, a market economy is that we uh, don't need to worry about why someone is, you know, doing something. They might be making great hammers because they love making hammers or they might be making great hammers because they want to make money. It doesn't matter. We still get great hammers. Yeah. And um, I, I guess that would be the the sort of question here is why why we're moaning about them being profit seeking yeah. now and not we haven't moaned about it for the last 25 years yeah chris I, yeah well i was just going to give a give a quote i'm sure you'll you'll spot spot this quote but um uh it's from a from a famous speech um so i'm just going to read out the point is ladies and gentlemen that greed for lack of a better word is good Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. Dalai Lama. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah Marx. Yeah. Um, uh, do you know it? I presume. I presume is that, oh, am I meant... Oh. Gordon, Gordon Gecko, yeah, it's Gordon Gecko, of course, Gordon Gecko, yeah. right? And and the point is, he's like, despite the the salutary tale that is Wall Street, he mm. he's he's clearly on onto something there. And so the question is, like, if you know, greed is good is the mantra of that of that speech. When is greed not not good? That's that's the question. When does it, like you say, t tip over? And part of it's probably about a lack of concern for other people. But actually that lack of concern for other people might not be important, right? You, you might be not thinking about other people, making lots of money for yourself, but, but actually creating a, a, greater, a, a greater good. Um, but I think, I think it's also, you know, your point, Nick, about social policing is, is also um, uh, valid. If you look at the seven deadly sins, arguably four of them, sort of uh, vainglory, pride, uh, covetousness, lust, and gluttony are all kind of linked to greed for for something, you know. And clearly, there's a heavy moral. There's always been, you know, like Oliver Stone built, you know, designed that film to try and be a, you know, a, a railing against Reaganism, right? Mm. But actually, everybody ended up loving Gordon Gecko and thinking he was brilliant. Um, but there's always this very moralistic attitude towards greed. Uh, even though we know striving for more stuff has, you know, spurred mankind on to great achievements, why, why is that, and and when is it justified? That's that's. I, I think this is a really fundamental tension, uh, which relates to the thing that I think we've talked about. We mention, well, I mention quite often, which is this sort of hunting norms v farming norms, and I think that this this really is, and I feel like as you know, our culture has both, and we have this kind of uneasy peace, um, uh, where where you know we accept that. Um, you know, wealth creation enriches people. Well, I'll get on to rent seeking in a sec, but, you know, wealth creation enriches people. But we still don't we, we still think people ought to share a bit. You know, it's the whole sort of crabs dragging down the escaping crab back into the bucket element. Um, and, you know, that we we uh, we don't want to ban to make it impossible for someone like Jeff Bezos to set up Amazon. You know, we all benefit from Amazon. But at the same time, we'd like him to pay some tax. You know, we 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 both want people to share. And we also, you know, accept that we need the incentive for people to create wealth in the first place. Um, and, and I don't think we've fixed it 
uh, we, fi- we, we I don't think we fixed that, you know, uh, as, as a society, because I suspect it's the two competing, you know, social algorithms that that it can't really be fully reconciled. Um, but yeah, I mean, the idea would be that, you know, if you're a hunter, then you share because you all take, uh, you know, you it could be your your uh, deer this week, but it might be somebody else's deer next week. But, you know, for a farmer, well, your output and your wealth is much more linked to the own eth- your own effort that you yeah. put in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I, I so, yeah, that's that's it, really. I think there might be something else going on here, though, which we touched on actually in a similar kind of vein, but um, before, which is relational models theory. Uh, which I think we talked about. I can't remember what the context was, but the the that um, people there are sort of a set of different relational models you can have with a group of of people, and um, so one of them is equality matching, which is you know where you're making sure everyone's got an equal share of stuff. There's kind of hierarchical um, relations where someone is the boss and they give you stuff, um, but there's also uh, market pricing, which is a sort of you know slightly artificial one that's been plonked in at the end. Which is which is a sort of completely value neutral. You give me something, I give you something, um, and and we have a set price, and and that's that. If you're a commercial officer, I guess in 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 Manchester United's you know PLC, that is you what you think your football club is, right? You deliver services to people, you deliver services to advertisers, and to you know and to and to people paying to watch your TV show and to some extent people buying tickets to go and see the game. But fans, I think, see themselves in more of a kind of, you know, communal sharing uh, uh, relationship with the club. They see that club as, you know, as something that they're, uh, you know, almost like members of a big family. And I, and I think that's the same tension we get when you think about um, how people feel about restaurants. It's why we try and really sweep the whole financial transaction side of things uh, to one side and hide that, you know, in a restaurant um, or to some extent with prostitution. You know, you're, you're kind of you get the, the money bit kind of gets in the way of mm. the delivery of the service. And I, and I wonder if that's something as well, like people feel particularly aggrieved about excessive profiteering in football mm. as opposed to Tesco's people might get annoyed that the Tesco's have put the price of their beans up but they don't feel personally violated but when their football club does it it tra- trespasses on on a different kind of um you know uh, it feels like a more intimate um violation I don't know if that's true Chris you're the football guy um well before you answer that Chris um we need to uh, wrap up pretty shortly. I don't actually have any questions, anything like that. So le- we need to bring this to, to a close. Um, Chris, um, and then I guess Nick, is go for it. Is there anything yeah. you want to finish up? Yeah, on? well, I, I think for me, um, y- you know, one of the things about um, greed that, that intrigues me is um, w- when it leads to, you know, bad bad acts, either bad judgment or or sort of, you know, morally heinous acts. So, you know, sort of, um, somebody murdering for profit, for example, or um, but but even more interesting than that, I find the sort of uh, examples where um, you know people like these these investors uh, or these um, billionaires clearly uh, made the wrong decision. They, like Nick, miscalculated about what the um, you know the the reactions of the fans were going to be and they ended up in a in a in a worse position and they were sort of blinded by their greed i suppose you know at the point at which the reward outweighs your 
ability to assess the probability of it coming to happen or the costs associated with it you know the kind of Midas uh, again you know go looking at, at sort of uh, um, fables mm-hmm. you know this this idea that you know you you don't see the downsides of what you're doing because you only see the upsides and and I find that the most fascinating part of greed and that's for me what what greed is it's the, the point at which you 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 know it's almost like a cognitive bias the point at which you only see the upsides and you downplay the downsides yeah 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 nick anything you want to finish off on or no just uh uh, I, I, I think there's an extent to which these guys might have been just unlucky, actually. I, I, I don't... I, I, it could have been that they'd have spun this in a way that made it much more appealing and friendly to their fans, I think. Made it look much less like a bunch of billionaires cooking up a way to become, you know, even more billionaires. Um, so, I, 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 yeah. Anyway, that's just my suspicion. But no, I remember uh, there's this cafe that I went to in Norfolk, which I always remember because I just thought this was the most preposterous thing I'd ever seen. Um, the uh, the pricing was insane, right? A coffee was, you know, £2.50. But if you wanted froth, like milky froth, that was an extra 50p. And if you wanted um, a sprinkle of chocolate, that was like an extra 20p. And um, so it was a way of simplifying, I guess. You know, if you ask for a cappuccino, oh, well, that's fine. That's a coffee with a milky froth and a sprinkle of chocolate. If they'd have just said it's £3.20 for a cappuccino, it would have been fine. But it just looked like it. So it was a purely a framing thing. Or they could have said, yeah, well, actually, as a discount if you don't want the froth, you know, it would have been fine. But the way that it was framed was just made them look like they were trying to get every single penny they could for every single thing they were offering you. Um, And it's just stuck in my mind as an example of of actually, you know, that problem, the problem of commerce uh, still feeling, you know, like it it gets in the way of normal human relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Um, right well on that note we'll stop there Um, thank you as always for listening Um, if you have any thoughts or suggestions for topics you can email us at podcast at alephinsights.com we'd love to hear from you and if you've enjoyed the podcast um, what should people do Chris Uh, they should uh, smash one into the top corner where the like button resides (laughs) well said (laughs) alright we'll stop there Um, thanks always for listening I'm Fraser McGrew been here with Chris Rag and Nick here of Aleph Insights Until next time, goodbye.